completely unbalanced. Come on now, Brian. That's pretty awful. Oh my god. <laughs> He's unbalanced. This guy is a lunatic. These men lived in a much different time. God, we got some kooky people back in this time. It's not obvious that we are professionals. You're not paying attention. We know what we're doing. <laughs> but I'm serious. Can we start already? Welcome to Unbalanced Views of History, a mostly American history podcast. Uh, this is part two of the story of the Robin Johns, and we're going to pick up already in progress. As, as horrific as the Middle Passage was, for sure, the Robin Johns would have both understood the language and customs of the English. Um, they wouldn't have had any of those misunderstandings. Like, they knew that they weren't there to be eaten. You know, they knew that they were enslaved. They knew the reality of their situation. Because they had been traitors for so long, they might have even known some of the crewmen that were on the vessel, people that they would need to rely on for their own sort of mm -hmm. assistance and survival for the voyage. You know what I mean? Uh, we don't really know much about what actually happened on the voyage, but um, they may have been proven, you know, really useful given their particular skill set and may have been afforded some extra privileges as a result of that. If they had been especially fortunate, they might have had a crewman like uh, one guy, one crewman I know named John Ashley Hall, who... Uh, his treatment of slaves aboard ships was guided by his belief uh, that the slave trade was, quote, perfectly illegal and founded in blood. Now, he continued to work the slave ships because that was the only way he could make a living. Sure. But he loathed the work and thought it was absolutely immoral and, and wrong. So he had a reputation for treating, for actually helping a lot more uh, enslaved people survive the, the trip because he was compassionate and, uh, you know, as compassionate as he could. He was be. Mr. Schindler. He was the Schindler of his day. It's not a terrible comparison. Yep. So, like I said, we don't know much about the specific experiences they had on the Duke of York other than uh, the mortality rate, which was about 19%, which was high. The average mortality rate from that region and around that time in 1767, the average would have been about 15%. Okay. And this ship lost, you know, uh, about 19%. So, I mean, you know, obviously, uh, they also, I can also say that the five square feet of space was, was a little bit less than the average for the time, too. Gotcha. This Captain Bivens was a was maybe a little bit uh, less concerned for people's welfare. So, I'm thinking just in my mind, the amount of people you're talking about, square foot... These aren't aren't small boats. These are pretty good sized ships. I'm thinking. Yeah, they're good sized ships, but people, I'll, um, yeah, pe people are packed in pretty tight. Um, no question. I mean, there's a lot of people, you know. Um, but 1760s, the ships are about the same as Columbus's ships. It's not a different era. So. Oh no no they're they're much bigger than Columbus's. Much bigger, but you're talking about one. Yeah, he was just sailing in. He was sailing in a little caravel. Yeah, but you're talking about three ships compared to one. I was thinking about the amount of people. One of these ships is probably about the same as, as, you know, two of his or whatever, two or three of his. Yeah, I mean. I don't know how many people were on each one of, of Columbus's ships. I can't I'm not really that. sure either. I don't know. If All right. So, Mike, I want you to understand, like, every step in the process of trying to turn human beings into chattel property was intentionally degrading, dehumanizing, and, of course, inherently violent. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I'm, I, I, me and you on the same page. My question is, going back in this day, was there a voice like ours then that was growing and saying, hey, what the fuck is going on here? Or was this one of those times where people just didn't realize how wrong it was until it was kind of like at the point where it was in, in the Americas where we were 
abolishing slavery? Like, what was going on here? Was there a voice like us where we were like, was there a percentage of society going, yes. wow, can you believe this is going on? Or like, what was going on here? Yeah, there, there, there is a, a small and slowly growing percentage of society, yes. So most people were just like, hey, this is just what, what people do. It's kind of like, well, they were- You know, most people don't really yeah. know. Yeah. You know I mean, most people, I mean, like they were ignorant to it. They were ignorant to the. Yeah. You, you might hear something in passing or whatever, but there's really no institutional kind of understanding of, of the system unless you've been exposed to it. Um, but yeah, no, they're, you know, and again, uh, most regular people, they have no power just like today. There's no real power. The people with power, uh, there's a slow, a small, but eventually growing, you know, kind of, and we're going to get to that. We're going to talk about those people very soon, okay. actually. Good. So by the time this is all happening, it's it's uh, it's a it is a growing movement. Can't wait to meet them. They were they were probably at the time considered wacky lefties. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of like that. Yep. Um, they certainly uh, they wouldn't have necessarily called them lefties per se, but like because um, that idea Although, doesn't come up until after the French Revolution. It probably doesn't make sense either because the Democrats are the party of slavery. But that's neither here nor there. Go ahead with your story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the, to assume that parties don't change what they focus on or whatever is silly. Anyway, onward with your onward, onward with your story. <laughs> so, slave rebellions. Now, again, slave rebellions would occur on about one out of every ten voyages. Oh, so they would get together and want to fucking overthrow the ship? Oh yeah, no, it, it happened happened about ten percent of the time, and you know that is uh, that. Might even seem like a low number, but that's interesting. The the barriers set up to prevent such things were so severe. Sure, uh, that one out of every ten, you know, is, is itself like pretty remarkable. Because I mean, just every everything is set up to make this a, a really um, almost impossible task. Okay, so interesting, interesting, interesting scenario. You got five foot by you got a five square foot of space. Yeah, how are you going to launch some sort of uprising? Well, you can't even sit. Well, up. well the thing is. I'm sure it didn't start that way. I'm sure it started where they were like, hey, let's just put them all on the bottom. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, the last two ships just got taken over. So let's um, let's put them in the bottom, but let's like handcuff them. Let's chain them. And then all of a sudden, like a couple ships. And then they're like, okay, well, let's put them in the bottom. Let's chain them. Let's put them in dividers. And, it, and I'm sure it like it like morphed into a prison cell down there where they're cuffed. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sh- there's there's certainly some truth, although, yeah, there's there's some truth to that idea. Let's I'll just leave it. Yes, that seems that's a fair. It's not an unfair assessment. But anyway, but the rebellions continued. <laughs> but here here's here's another here's another scenario that I was thinking of that that's amazing to me as you're talking. OK, just imagine this 20 percent or 10 or 20 percent that do get successfully overtaken by the slaves. What happens? I didn't say successfully. I just said that they occur. They occur. So some had to be successful. Right. So out of those. So what happens when they're successful? Well, they continue. They take their they take everyone captive, the captain, kill whoever they have to kill. They're they're now they're now in charge of the ship. Where do they go? And what happens when they get there? Like, these are amazing stories that I wish I knew what would happen. You know, I'm sure you don't know, but (laughs) it is. uh, (laughs) I wish you did. If you did tell me, but uh, it's uh, (laughs) I've I've got um, I've got a couple of books here that I could. But I mean, slave rebellions are are, uh, they're 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 ultimately on, especially aboard a ship. They're going to be ultimately futile because of exactly what you're saying. How do you win? You know, I mean, what does winning look like? What do you turn around and go back home and 
like jump off the boat or like like that's not possible well it i mean lots of people will try to throw themselves off the, the boats um a lot of places will put um or ships will put like netting up to catch bodies so because they're they're so likely to throw themselves off and stuff like that yeah it's um it is a, a hard thing to win uh, a slave rebellion aboard a ship a lot of times the goal is not it, the goal is not like our understanding of freedom right like i mean we're talking about People have different understanding even of, of a concept like freedom. Okay. What they want is to not not be treated in you know inhumanely. They want to be treated like human beings. Well, those people wanted fucking freedom. Sure. But we don't but like the idea of freedom is not one that I, I mean, I, I can't it's really hard to explain in in to like a 20th, 21st century person. The idea of freedom in the way that like you and I think of it. And I imagine you and I think of it very differently, even even still, would be so fundamentally foreign to the overwhelming majority of people in the 18th century. Mm-hmm. Sure. The thing that made the American Revolution so radical was the idea that you could overthrow the king, like it, that you could even claim freedom from a from a divine ruler. It, it was nonsense. It was a the thing that you couldn't even imagine prior to it happening. Like, you know, the very notion of freedom, like when they were talking about freedom, trying to figure out what that word even meant as they were writing it. Well, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like things that we take for granted. We're not even like under like weren't even considered as possibilities for a lot of people. I think the word freedom has meant the same. It's just different things and different liberties have changed freedom under either a a um, overreaching government or freedom from incarceration or freedom to you know express yourself or freedom to do whatever you know it's always about just being able to do it's about your your will to do what you want now my question about this whole thing in this in this discussion we just had here is it goes back to the the slave uprisings while they're on the boat Mm -hmm. coming over right um, has there been, and this is in the day, and I don't know what years these correspond, I'm sure it's about three or 400 years too late, but that could be, has there ever been um, um, spots in history where there, there's black pirate ships? Sure. There you go. Boom. They take over the ship and then turn the boat instead of going to the Americas. Now they're in the Caribbean. They're pirates. And now they're, they're you know, going around the Caribbean as pirates. I mean, I could see that happening. I could see that scenario playing out quite a bit, you know, and they just dump those bodies overboard of the uh, Englishman or whoever was carrying them back. They see you later, slice their throats, get, get rid of them. Then they own that boat and they're free, right? They're not, they're just going where the fucking ocean takes them type of thing. Um, I could see that scenario playing out. Quite I, I mean, but again, but you're, you're talking about mo- most enslaved people aboard had never seen the ocean before being brought aboard. They, right. they didn't possess the ability to... To captain a ship. To be a pirate all of a sudden. To be like a sailor. To be a sailor. Like they, don't, they wouldn't even have the vocabulary. Well, they have their own vocabulary. I mean, they could, amongst themselves, you know, they could form their own group and, and commandeer the boat. No, but I, I understand. But they, wouldn't, they would not have even understood the idea of a pirate. They wouldn't understand them because it doesn't exist. Were, now, were, were there black pirates? Absolutely. Sure. That's my idea. But the concept would have been the same. That's what I'm saying. Like uh, there'd be, you know, you'd have a, a slave ship rebellion and um, they'd sink the ship 
And for a lot of uh, enslaved people, they would happily just commit suicide because you see, well, okay, I'm about to talk about that. I was going to say, it's a suicide mission. Simmer down over there, Mike. Ah, I'm sitting down again. I see clearly, uh, clearly, Back I can't seat. pick a topic that you're really interested in because I can never get through it. This is this is a great interest to me, and you, know? you can obviously see because I keep jumping in and asking many questions. <laughs> I was like, man, I've got this. This is sweet. I've got it written nice and tight. It's going to be a, a quick, a perfect two-parter, and I'm going to be. I, I'm going to have 19 hours of, of audio to go through. It's uh, it's good stuff. Okay, slave rebellions occurred on one out of every ten voyages, give or take. Men and women were separated, and women were usually kind of left un, unbound. Um, they would they might shackle they would shackle them often while they were still in the the harbor or the river or whatever. But then unbind the unbind them once they were at sea. Now, the greatest potential for rebellions would occur while the slave ships were still anchored in the rivers and ports. That was when most rebellions would happen. If you had a chance for success, would be to rise up while you're still in the river in Africa and rebel then. So that you could still get off and get on the land and get to where, like, you know where you are. Do you see what I mean? Well, that's just that's that's a that's the assumption of a of a of an invasion and like a kidnapping of people. Um, I'm under the assumption that that's highly uh, not likely with the same because it's it, well, it happened more more often than you think. Yeah, because what I'm thinking of this is the slave trade. It's not just invasion of a country grabbing people this is a slave trade so i'm thinking it's more of a business and these people are coming in and the people that are being traded the slaves they are there because of a reason and that reason we went over so i think the example you gave i don't i just don't believe that that's efficient for people like if i was looking for slaves i'd go to the business that sells slaves i wouldn't try to waste my energy and time and kidnapping people where i don't even know if they're going to be a good slave okay no. Okay. Let me, let me, let me clear that up. English slaving vessel comes in, they anchor and the, the African traders bring mm-hmm. slaves aboard the ships. This is a process that can take anywhere from a month to a year to fill a slave ship with, you know, with enslaved people and provisions during the course of that time. Let's say they're anchored for three months, four months waiting for enough slave, enough slaves to fill the ship or whatever. As they wait, those the, whatever enslaved people have been brought on already are stuck waiting on the ship while they're waiting for the ship to be filled. So sometimes, you know, you get to a sort of critical capacity where people have been waiting. They've been on this ship for four months in these miserable conditions before they haven't even they haven't set sail yet or six months or whatever. And you're in this five square foot space shackled with partner. And at a certain point, the tensions bubble over and they, you know, you and there's a there's an opportunity, there's an opening, and you, you're you able to take it, and you revolt, and you're able to get a weapon, you kill a couple of people, and you're able to get off, off the ship, but you're still in the river in Old Calabar. So you can get to the shore, and you can escape to the interior from there. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. I mean, it's not like you go into, you don't go to, to like, slave Walmart, and you just fill your ship. So it's a process. It takes time. But, uh, no, I know that, but... but- I get that, but what I'm thinking in my mind is that I, I just don't see that as being practical because to have slaves just sitting on a boat for four months, for one thing, you got to feed them. It's, it's, it's an expense. I just feel like they're filling these boats up and they're leaving a much quicker timeline 
That's why they're not. It's they would do they they want to leave quicker, generally speaking, although there are certain times of the year they want to set sail and other times they don't. It's not possible. Right. It's not like when they come in, they, it's not like. Because um, you got to think, what's the voyage? What's the voyage time? That's another six months, right? But the but you have to usually what happens though is that like the slave traders then go raid mm-hmm. for like you're here like the demand is here then they go raid for slaves right 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 they need their product basically so they go on these like little I mean now they always call it war they always say they're in yep. warfare yep just like the movie Blood Diamonds you see these trucks they go into different territories and you see these families just running for cover and all of a sudden they're grabbing up the boys and the men and then capturing them and the women. Maybe they're enslaving them too, but, and I'm sure, I mean, obviously they, they needed the women as well for multiple reasons, but, um, you know, I, I, I can envision that happening, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then them uh, just, just rounding up families and whatnot, and then separating them families and then shipping them off to different, which is a horrible, that, that's the, to me, that would be the worst part of the whole thing, you know, is, is to have, you know, if you're in a family, just, you know, in a village somewhere and another village is just invading yeah, sure. your village. And then all of a sudden you're getting scooped up and then you and your wife and your kids get all split up and just sent somewhere else in the world. And at that time, it's not like, you know, you'll, you'll never see him again. You can't track him down, you know? Sure. That's just unbelievably, uh, that the whole part of the whole thing is just that right there. Oh, is unbelievably crushing. It is inhumane at every level. Yeah, no, it is it is monstrous. It is monstrous. But but yeah, I mean, of course, sure. Slave ship captains would love to have their slave ships filled up by like, you know, in a in a day and go, but that's just not how it works. I'm just imagining this this is a business, so I'm imagining they're like, look, the longer we wait, the more we have to A, feed these people, but B, they're gonna die because that's just longer that we have to keep them in a boat. That's that's the longer the voyage. You know, we just can't keep them there. So I just envision them coming in, picking their best of the litter and whatever they have as far as whatever they want to take or whatever they need, hoisting them in and then going. And and then during the voyage, that's when I think that they're like, shit, we got to do something. It's kind of like the 9-11 people on the plane, you know, type of thing. Same thing. I understand. It's it's. Yeah, I mean, but it's not. Um, it's not. I mean, you're you're thinking of business in a very different way than what what is operating. You know, I mean, it's not. I'm sure you're dealing. With, I'm sure it wasn't as smooth and. Yeah, no. I mean, you're and you're dealing with people, and especially when the trade is booming. I mean, you know, we're talking about. That's what, see. That's in my mind. That's what I'm thinking. It's like they got another boat coming in after you. There's only so much dock space. You gotta think about that. Oh no, there's no. It's not docks like that. No, you're just you're just dropping anchor in a river. But but um. But you can't. You still can't have a boat, a big huge boat out there for four months. Well, again, if you're listening to my story, you know there were seven English vessels sitting there around Parrot Island. Mm-hmm. Seven all at once. You know. Um, sure, it was probably full boat. They were probably like, "Look, assholes, get your ass out of here." We got to burn them and turn them, baby. Yeah, if you look at a map and you see how wide Cross uh, Cross River is, you you see seven ships is nothing. Um, I mean, you know, th- there's only but so many people, you you know, that are that are easily accessible. And yeah, I mean, that are available. Like you know, we're talking about available. over the sure, 18th sure. century, just the just for the 1700s alone. I mean, I think it's like something like ten nine or ten million people are pulled out of Africa just in that hundred years. 
You know, the slave trade, you know, the slave trade itself is like 15 to 20 million people. Um, It's amazing. It's amazing because just in that realm, you know, you think like any business, uh, any business owner I talk to and they have this territory. And I think, you know, what's your footprint? How many prospects do you have in this territory? And it's endless because there's so many fucking people. The human mind can't wrap around how many people there are in in small territory. So in that business, it was thriving. And I'm sure there was no there was no end to, you know, the availability but it was. I mean, but but of course it was. I mean, like, of course there were because only because you have a only because of the ability to travel, because obviously you're going in a circle. Right. So if you're in an area, right, you can only your ability to in that time, your ability to to canvas, to get your prospects, which are slaves at that time. That's your your that, that's what your, your product is. You have to go in a, in a radius around where you are and around where your men are to go out and do it your army, right? And you can only go to villages next to you, north of you, south of you, west of you, south or east of you. Um, There's only so many you can go to. It's not like you can go, it's not like today where you could go, you know, launch a mission way the hell over there and grab a bunch of people. You know what I mean? So it's, you're right in that, that sense. But even, even there, even in that sense, even in that radius that you're talking about, that lasts years and years and years and years and years, right? Because even in that, even in that same scenario, like what I'm talking about, the example I'm using, there's companies I've worked with that have just one state, like Maryland, as a territory, right? And if you look over in Western Africa, just use one of their countries as say for them a territory. It's endless amount of businesses that I can go to. You would think you would get to all of them, but it's just it's impossible. The human brain can't wrap around like a map. Is it just looks so small? But then you're like, holy shit! There's so many fucking people in that area. So, so the trade itself, even in a small radius, can continue for many, many years. Just in that small radius, is what I'm saying. Sure, no, I, I understand that, but also, but you're also not dealing with like a. You, you know, you're not dealing with bananas. Sure. You're, you're dealing with human beings sure. who are going to adapt and change. And you get raided, but so many times before finally you're like, you know what? Before they adjust and kick your fucking ass, I'm sure. And and this is one of the this is one of the things that, that Europeans will do is they're like, they'll they'll deal with one group. You know, they'll deal with this one ethnic group or, or whatever. They'll deal with one for a while and then. Uh, if for whatever, you know, and they'll supply them with, with weapons and, and all this other stuff so that they are then able to to conquer other people, uh, then that group sort of becomes dependent on European bullets, on European armor, guns, whatever. And oftentimes after one group has really like raided through an area and done a lot of damage and then like pissed off all the people that live there, sometimes the Europeans will be like, you know what? Now I'm going to arm those people that you've pissed off sure. and stop providing arms to you because you've gotten too rich and powerful. The American way. So now, hey. so now I can divide you divide and rule. Uh-huh. Is this part of the story? Are you still on the story here? No, I'm just riffing. Get back to the story, damn it. <laughs> that was a good riff, by the way. Well, I was specifically thinking of a group of people called the Akan who were, uh, that's what happened to them. Gotcha. They end up enslaved uh, like after after they they had benefited from weapons and things like that as they were like uh, were able to like they had been a smaller weak group 
who'd been picked on and been enslaved and stuff by groups around them. And Europeans came in and were like, hey, we'll give you guns. Uh-huh. And they're like, cool, like, because these people suck. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like, they've been picking on, <laughs> like they've been picking on us for years. And so that they're like, all right, this evens things. And so then they went like, you know, essentially exacted revenge. And ultimately, you know, over years and years and years, they became powerful. And the same European traders were like, hmm, you know what? I think we're going to give these other people guns that you've been picking on and stop giving you weapons and stop giving you ammunition and then like let them yeah. sell you to what, you know what I mean? It's the story in old yeah. Calabar. This is, a the, the, these, re, these are like relationships. Like the English traders, you know, they know these trading, these canoe houses, they know these traders. Uh, it's a personal, you know, it's much more personal. It's just the way that that cultural relationship is different in this area. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So the greatest potential for rebellions occurred uh, while slave ships were anchored in rivers and ports. So, Often or typically, captains would have um, men would have their arms bound behind them, their legs in irons, maybe cuffs around their throats. Uh, like I said, they'd often be bound together. And this would, of course, cause a lot of fights to break out. And the thing about fights is that this wasn't entirely unwelcome by the crews because, again, solidarity among the enslaved is like the worst thing that you could have uh, while you're still in the rivers. So mm-hmm. if they're fighting, that's not a sure. bad thing per se as long as it doesn't sort of explode right uh you know out of control into a riot into a riot so um yeah. so again like you know keeping things at a a, a minor simmering you know uh, like a simmering steam is is not bad i mean that's a scary boat ride back bro well this is i mean again particularly while they're still at the i like at anchor sure i i, I get it but i'm just thinking like like i'm i'm, th- put, I'm thinking they're agitated because they've been sitting there for fucking ever, right? They know they're fucked, <clears throat> right? So on the way back, like if you're, you better be, you better have some back. I mean, you better be deep in your security force up top. And I don't know what that looks like. I'm sure you're going to get there, but I would be a nervous wreck because just like in a prison, like, like they've got you there. You're outmanned. If, if, if you they, give me two sentences, I'll tell you what it looks like. Oh. Go for it. Go. You keep going, buddy. <laughs> so while uh, while those minor simmering tensions might be useful, uh, captains would resort to the most violent and extreme measures to prevent those things from boiling over into open revolt. So if an uprising did occur, uh, one captain wrote advice saying, quote, spare no effort to repress their insolence. And as an example to others, Sacrifice the lives of all the most mutinous. The form of punishment that scares Africans most is by chopping parts off a living man with blows from an axe and presenting the separated parts to the others. Ah, yeah. Chop his arm off and then then show it to him. And show it to somebody else. Yeah. So it should also be no surprise that uh, sharks would follow the slave ships so consistently Mm -hmm. that they actually altered their migration patterns. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, A fact fact that was so well known at the time that there is an abolitionist uh, dark satire letter written on behalf of sharks begging Parliament not to end the transatlantic slave trade. No way. Because they kept getting fed? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, uh, yeah, there's this crazy letter. There's this crazy letter that is, like, written, like, um, from the perspective of sharks to British Parliament saying, please don't end the transatlantic slave trade. Why? Why? What would we eat? Is that now? Is this that that seems a little bit of a of I'm not saying that's not true. 
like it didn't actually happen. But um, it, like I'm not saying that letter wasn't written. I think it may have been written in jest. No, no, no. It was. It was a satire. It was a satire. Okay. Okay. It was a because satire. I could see. It was an obviously. It was an abolitionist satire as they were trying to change public opinion, and as information sure, about the sure, slave trade was sure. coming out, they were like, "Sure, somebody, somebody wrote. I think anonymously, you know, wrote a letter, basically like, like, won't I someone gotcha. think of the poor sharks? You know, that sort of thing." I got you. Um, again, gotcha. trying gotcha. to through humor, sure. convince people of the horrors sure. of the trade. Yeah. Sure. Um, sure. Anyway. Some enslaved people would refuse to eat while on board. One slaver, a guy named John Barbeau, uh, wrote, uh, quote, I must say I am naturally compassionate, yet I have been necessitated sometimes to cause the teeth of those wretches to be broken because they would not open their mouths and thus have forced some sustenance into their throats, end quote. So uh, it's actually pretty commonly uh described where captains would break the front teeth of of uh different sure to force food into their mouth yeah they have to because i could imagine the more they lose the less money they make and if they show up with with a malnourished slave they're not gonna be able to do shit right now let let me ask you a question these people already yeah they didn't feed them well no but they needed them (laughs) they needed them alive alive so let me ask you a question yeah on the boat Are, are these brokers for the actual plantation? So once they, and I'm sure you're going to get there, but once they arrive in America, the, you know, these boats are divided up amongst different plantations, I'm sure. Right. So not at all. Okay. So no. Um, how does that work? Sometimes, uh, you know, usually the, the slave, usually the ships are just, um, are just fitted out by uh, a company or, you know, uh, an LLC or, or just an individual, you know, uh, ship owner. And um, they're fitted out and they basically are, it's a, um, it's a business gamble. They, they send a ship off then in the hopes of filling it with however many slaves, sending it to whatever port and hoping that they, yeah, I mean, you, you know, usually you'll go to say, you know, you'll go to Jamaica, you'll sell your, you sell the, these people okay. in Jamaica. You'll buy a bunch of rum in Jamaica, sail up to Virginia. You'll sell whatever uh, slaves didn't sell in in Jamaica, plus trade your rum, and then you'll get tobacco in Virginia and bring it back to England or whatever. You know, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. Right, right. But let's say, for example, I'm a say, say for example, I'm a plantation owner in the colonies. I need six slaves. When and so you would check the newspaper when it says the slave ship's coming in from wherever it's coming from. And, and I would you'd go to the to the dock mm-hmm. or wherever the hell it is. Or you'd send you could send a broker, broker at that point to go and you would inspect you would inspect each slave and you know look at their teeth and so the boat, the actual boat that they're on is a broker. They're probably buying a whole ton of them and then bringing them over and then saying here. Yeah, no, no, right. The, the captain themselves is a is a bro, they're buying it, but they're not buying them for a plantation. No. They are just buying them as free agents. It's it's just like a drug dealer. He drives a kilo and then it gets broken down. They're buying them as free agents yep. and they're trusting that they'll be able to sell it. Gotcha. It, yes. And so now and then there's two ways that, the, that these transactions take place in like on the on the, the mm-hmm. final, you know, in the Americas. And one is um, a lot of times like individual broker like will kind of. Uh, purchase individuals before they go on sort of public auction, right? So they'll come on, they'll make offers and things like that. And then th- there's usually some sort of like public showing of, of so 
you have like a select number yeah. of individuals who come like can, who can bid in a small kind of private way. And then whoever doesn't, whoever isn't sold in those, uh, those transactions then gets sent to auction, which is typically the lowest price uh, that, that would be received for any enslaved people. And then anyone who doesn't sell at auction, you'd sort of throw back on the ship and then take to your next port. You know, it's, I mean, that's kind of the way it, it goes. That's the way it would go. All right. I got you. But anyway, one, one thing I wanted to point out is that one of the reasons that so many captives were willing to starve themselves and die was because of their belief that their souls would return home when they did. Like, so of the, in, the people that end up enslaved, most West Africans who end up enslaved in particular have a kind of, um, uh, it's been called ancestor worship, but that I think is um, a bit misleading. There's a um, a kind of belief in a, you know, there's a belief in, yeah, in the, the perpetuity of the ancestors, that there's a, um, Catholics would call it a community of saints, Right, that your like family is still there, kind of with you in a different way on a different plane, um, you know, kind of in the afterlife, and and so these, you know, so most of these people sort of have this belief that their soul will join their family in their homeland when they die, and given the prospect of you know that they're you know they've been chained up there in this fetid, sweaty, miserable existence, gotcha. You know, death doesn't seem like the worst possible, like the worst outcome. Because you get to be reunited with your loved ones and you get to return home. So, you know, I mean, so there is like a strong kind of motivation there. Sure, sure, sure. And to be honest with you, if you've never been on a boat, I don't know if, how close to the ocean any of them have been. If they've been on a boat in the middle of the ocean, they might, if I have to, if I were taken over the boat, I might think there's nothing on the other side. Sure. That's it. You know, the only, the only out is death, right? And it's the best out. It's the best. It's the best way out. It's better than right. whatever the hell they were taking me to, because I'm, I'm ninety nine percent sure they didn't get a brochure to let them know what was going to happen. So these, they were probably scared out of their sure. mind. Yes. Now that said, I, one thing I was trying, like I was trying to uh, keep in mind, is that yes, all of that's true. But then there's this other current that you know you have to remember about humanity, which is most of us. Most of the time, under most circumstances, no matter how grim, we'll try to make the best of our horrible situations. Most of us put our head down mm-hmm. and plug along. Correct. So human nature. You know, so human nature is to to try and survive and make it through. But of course, that's also competing with this other mm-hmm. like, yes, but if I die, like that would not be the worst thing. Either. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So, you know. In my opinion, if you ask me what happened, a lot of these boats, I'm sure they took it over. The ones that did uprise and take over, they took it over and they tried to do something to survive. It just, you know, they weren't, it's it's like taking over a plane if you've never flown before. You're not going to be able to do what you, what you would imagine that you could do, you know, ideally, if you, if you were in that situation, it's just not quite reality, you know? So the idea, the, uh, the reality is they probably just perished because they just didn't quite right. know. What and they I mean, and of course, like if you were depending on where you are, cause I mean, there are some ships that were some ships that were taken over by, by slaves and they managed to turn them around and sail them back to the West coast of Africa getting, and then got off, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that did happen. But I mean, you know, at a certain point, if you're out in open ocean, I mean, it's like, what do you, you know? Right. You know, and, and, 
and if you got to the Caribbean, what then? Like you, it's not like you know where you are. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I'm it's, thinking it's it, all it's bad. Probably it was. It was probably populated at that time. So it's. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's. I don't know. Maybe not. It's all maybe bad. It it's all bad outcomes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's go. After about 45 days, uh, Captain Bivens guided the Duke of York into Woodbridge Bay on the island of Dominica in the Caribbean. Now, in 1767, Dominica was actually the possession of the British, uh, who had just gained it in 1763 in the Treaty of Paris. So by the time of the Robin John's arrival, it was in the midst of kind of a land grab. The number of imported slaves increased from less than 100 in 1765 to over 3,500 three years later when the Robin Johns mm. arrived. Like, wow. yeah. So, I mean, it was really transforming under, uh, under British rule. Mm-hmm. British were really into the slavery. Mm-hmm. The Robin Johns unique skills and knowledge must have helped them uh, mitigate against the worst possible outcome because something really crazy happened to them there. They were sold to a French physician and they stayed together. Right. So, Despite the fact that most families were were typically separated, even mothers and young children would be separated. Part of this project, the project of of, of slavery, is to thoroughly destroy the you know the culture and the connections that a person had. Mm-hmm. So separating a, a mother from their child is part of that project. Like it's an intentional. So they must have been you know they must have really been able to plead their case in some way because they got sold together again, which is highly unusual. So, um, and according to Ancona, or, uh, Ancona, the doctor treated them, quote, upon ye whole, not badly, end quote. So, so you know, they got lucky. Uh, this physician treats them pretty good. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, uh, seven months after they've been enslaved in Dominica, a captain named William Sharp sailed uh, the Peggy into Dominica and learned about the Robin Johns. Now, Sharp offered to smuggle the men away from Dominica if they could escape to his ship. He promised to return the the Robin Johns to Africa. And in their own words, of course, they were, quote, determined to get home, end quote. So they made a daring escape. Um, They managed to sneak away from the physician and snuck onto the ship. But unfortunately for little Ephraim and Anacana, William Sharp had no intention of helping the men get home. After they managed to get into onto his sloop, they snuck out in the middle of the night. He sailed off to Virginia, not Africa, and he sold the men to Captain John Thompson in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Now, originally, Thompson was from Bristol in the UK, uh, and he maintained a trade between there and Virginia. And when he sailed back and forth, he often took the Robin Johns to sea with him. So, Unfortunately for them, uh, Thompson was quite abusive. As Ancona recalled, quote, he would tie me up and whip me many times for nothing at all. (laughs) There is something seriously wrong with you. <laughs> Excuse me. No, it's it came just out of nowhere. It came. <laughs> you would tie me up and whip me for no reason. 
<laughs> that's a that's a pretty crazy fucking guy right there. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Oh god, pretty typical is the thing. He would tie me up and whip me many times for nothing at all. Then sometimes because I could not dress his dinner for him, not understanding how to do it. He was exceeding badly man I ever saw. End quote. So they were, however, somewhat fortunate that they ended up aboard a ship a lot of times. Now, obviously, being on a ship is better than the manual drudgery of field labor. uh, But also ships were kind of in an ideal environment for Atlantic Creoles like the Robin Johns. Um, Atlantic Creoles would be kind of Africans who have a somewhat hybridized identity that's really tied to the Atlantic world as much as it is to their own like geographic location, right? Because they interact with people from all around the Atlantic Rim. They have unique languages and skills to maneuver in the world. They're able to kind of, you know, operate in ways that say, you know, people, people that are not, that don't, you know, that aren't involved with Europeans on a regular basis that don't understand slavery. They're able to do things that they couldn't do. Do you you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And enslaved sailors, um, well, sailors in general sort of are, are like the perfect embodiment of these kind of hybridized identities. I mean, just sailors in general Mm -hmm. are this way, Mm -hmm. but enslaved sailors like other skilled slaves often had uh, more independence. Um, They were better informed than most enslaved people as well. Black sailors in particular had more opportunities to escape than most because, uh, again, you know, you're sailing port to port. There's there's just more opportunity presents itself. So, for example, between 1736 and 1801, about 25 percent of all skilled runaways in Virginia were sailors. So, you know, it happens a lot. All right. So uh, so the Robin Johns are with Captain Thompson. And um, yep. And that was what, 1768. So by 1772. The Virginia Gazette printed the following notice, quote, Friday last died Captain Thompson on board the schooner George from Virginia, end quote. Thompson apparently collapsed dead while he's walking on his deck on the deck after he complained about a stomach ache. Mm -hmm. The Robin Johns were aboard the George when Thompson died, and this kind of left their status in limbo, but it did provide them another opportunity to escape their bondage, right? Like, Thompson was dead. Um, whoever their claim, whoever was going to claim them had not yet kind of worked that out. Mm-hmm. So they had kind of a moment there where it was unclear what was going to happen. So right. about three weeks after Thompson's death, a ship called the Greyhound arrived in Virginia and it was commanded by a guy named Terrence, uh, Captain Terrence O'Neill. The ship arrived after delivering 132 slaves to South Carolina from Old Calabar. Mm-hmm. So their old stomping grounds, right? And it seems that it was an especially deadly journey as the original captain was a guy named Jacob Patterson and he died on the way as well. Right. right. Uh, and additionally, like the, the, here's some numbers for crew, not slaves, but uh, the Greyhound left old Calabar with a crew of 41, mm-hmm. but only 13 mm-hmm. were still alive when they left Charleston. Wow. Yeah. So as luck would have it, two of the surviving sailors were actually from old Calabar. They recognized the Robin Johns and they knew all about the story of their capture. So the two sailors urged O'Neill to purchase them, uh, but he didn't have any money. Because again, he was just a crewman who became captain after the captain died. Right. So instead, he offered to uh, return the men to Old Calabar after he returned to Bristol. So he basically said, if you can escape and get aboard my ship, I'll get you back to Old Calabar. Mm -hmm. 
So once again, the Robin Johns made a daring escape. And once they were safely aboard the Greyhound, they talked with the the two sailors that were from Old Calabar uh, and sort of uh, were able to learn some information about their friends and families back home. Right. Finally, so the Robin Johns, all of a sudden, their dream of recrossing the Atlantic to return home is starting to feel like a real possibility for them. When the Greyhound arrived in Bristol, Mm -hmm. O'Neill had them transferred to uh, a guy named Henry Lippincott's ship called the Brickdale. Ancona and little Ephraim initially thought that the ship was bound for Africa, right? That's why they thought they'd been transferred. Yeah, yeah. However, they soon realized they had been fooled yet again by another unscrupulous oh. captain. The Brickdale was going to sail to Virginia. That bastard. And O'Neill intended to sell the men back into slavery just to make a quick profit. Oh, oh that bastard. Little Ephraim described their, quote, great surprise and horror when they came to put on the irons. And we then, with tears and trembling, began to pray to God to help us in this deplorable condition, end quote. Oh. And although their situation seemed bleak, they were again lucky, <gasps> in part because this time they were in Bristol. And Mike, I think that's a great place to leave it off for today. That's an awesome one. Stuck in Bristol, about to uh, about to figure out how to try and work their problems out. I like it. I like it. This is a good one. This is a good one. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is Brian here uh, from the editing room floor. A brief program note. Uh, sorry for the long delay in getting this out. I had um, a bit of a mishap as a drink was knocked over onto my laptop when I was just completing the edit for the first episode initially. And so I had to start completely fresh. Uh, I lost uh, my script and I've lost all the everything that I had for the, for the program. So it's taken me a bit of time and a borrowed computer to try and get this all back up to speed. So just as an FYI, there's going to be a slight delay as I'm rewriting part two uh, as we speak and should have that up and running very soon and hopefully things will get back on schedule after that anyway thanks for listening i hope you're liking the story so far finally i want to let you know we will be on spotify very soon and apple Podcasts as well and you can email me any comments at unbalancedviews at gmail.com and you can find us on Podbean and hopefully all of the apps uh, very soon. Thanks again for listening. Tell a friend.